I hadn't been here at St. Luke's very long when I first heard someone say it. Someone had joined the church, and when asked why they wanted to be a part of St. Luke's, they said, people smile at me and say hi. Now, since that time, I've heard many different people say that when they've joined, some variation on that same sentiment. Now, I'm not surprised by it. St. Luke's has a warm, friendly congregation. But there is a sadness to it when you think that our culture exists in such a way that simply saying hi and smiling at someone can have such an impact on their life. And yet, here's the lesson for us. Sometimes the smallest things can have the biggest impact. And every single one of us has the ability to smile and greet others. We all have the ability to make a difference. This morning and next Sunday, we're going to be talking about how we can make a difference in the world. Next Sunday, we'll be looking at how we can be a part of something bigger than ourselves by joining together and working alongside one another. But this morning, I want to talk about how each one of us individually can make a difference, especially when we keep an eye on the little things of life. Now, there are certainly little things that can fill up our schedules and weigh us down. I'm not talking about the minutiae. I'm talking about the little things that focus on the basic needs of life. What do we all need? We have a need to know that we matter, that we're seen and heard, that we're cared for. Think of what it means to someone when somebody smiles at them and says hello. It means that that person was willing to give just a moment of time to recognize the other, that they were worth that person's time and effort. That still might not sound like much, and so compare it to the opposite. What happens to a person who people continually walk by without acknowledging? What happens to a person's psyche if they're continually ignored? Every one of us has the ability to greet others and recognize them, we can all make a difference. Now, sometimes we have this thought that we don't have enough money or power to make a real difference in this world. And so this morning's scripture highlights that anyone can make a difference. It comes from 1 Kings chapter 17, and this chapter in the Old Testament, it introduces the prophet Elijah. In this passage, there's a drought, and God sent Elijah to a widow in Zarephath in the land of Sidon. And Elijah approaches this woman and asks her for a drink of water. As she was going to bring it to him, he also asked her for a morsel of food. And she says, as the Lord your God lives, I have only a little bit of flour and oil left. She was saying that I was preparing the last meal for my son and myself, and after that we were going to pass away because of this famine. Elijah reassured her and uh, told her that the oil and flour would never run out. She went ahead and made the bread, and 
she ended up sustaining Elijah's life, her own, and her son's. She was someone that had a huge impact, although I'm sure, just like us, she never realized all the ways that God used her in ministry. To get a better understanding of how that happened, we need the context of today's scripture. Now, this was written when the kingdom was divided. Israel, for the first three kings, was one nation. For the first three kings, King Saul, King David, and King Solomon, there was one territory of Israel. But after Solomon, uh, the tensions grew and the kingdom was split into two. You had the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Now, a trick to helping to remember that is that Jerusalem is in the southern kingdom of Judah. And so the J in Judah, the J in Jerusalem can help you distinguish between the southern kingdom of Judah versus the northern kingdom of Israel when you're reading the Old Testament. The southern kingdom did have Jerusalem. Jerusalem had the temple and it was the place to worship the Lord God. Well, when the two territories split, you can imagine that the northern kingdom didn't want to go down to Jerusalem and make concessions to worship there, and so they developed their own sites of worship in the northern kingdom. To make matters worse, they also started allowing and incorporating different pagan gods into these worship sites, pagan gods from the surrounding territories. And to make it really bad, by the time that King Ahab came along, King Ahab was one of the kings of the northern kingdom, he married a princess of Sidon named Jezebel. And in addition to being a princess, she was also a priestess of Baal, or Baal, as sometimes you'll hear. Baal was a pagan god of storms. Sometimes you'll see little statuettes or figurines of Baal with a lightning bolt in his hand. And because he was worshiped as the god of storms, he was responsible for rain. And rain was the life source of crops, of livestock, of the people. So that's the setting that chapter 17 occurs in. And at the very beginning of chapter 17, God sent Elijah to Ahab and Jezebel to tell them that there would be no rain throughout the land except by the word of God. Why was he doing that? God was showing the people that there was one true God. Baal was not responsible for rain. That was the power of God. And so God was trying to bring the people back to himself. Well, after that, God sent Elijah into hiding. And he sent him, God sent Elijah east of the Jordan River to a place where there was a brook that still had water in it. God sent ravens to feed Elijah. The ravens brought Elijah food, uh, bread and meat. But after a while, because there were no rains falling, the brook ran dry. And so God sent Elijah to a widow in Zarephath in the land of Sidon. And there, Elijah met this widow, and he asked her for a drink of water. 
And when she went to go get it for him, he also asked her for a morsel of bread. And she said, as surely as the Lord your God lives, I only have this little bit left. Well, God would use that and continue to sustain Elijah and her and her son. At the end of the chapter 17, you have her son becoming very, very ill, and he passed away from this illness. God raised up her son from the dead uh, through the work of Elijah, and then she proclaims, now I know that you are a man of God, and the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. So here is this widow who had almost nothing left to, or nothing to offer, and yet she could make a difference. A destitute widow in the middle of a famine, if she can make a difference, so can we. And there are three things that I want to discuss that can help us do that. First is to trust that God will make the most of your gifts. If they're in the time of Elijah, if there was anyone that they thought wouldn't be able to give anything, it would have been a widow. In that time, wives ran the households. They didn't work outside of home. The husbands were responsible for producing food or income to provide for the family. And so if a husband died without any sons who were old enough to take his place providing food and income for the family, the widow and her children would have been left in dire poverty unless someone took them in and cared for them. Well, the widow of Zarephath was in that situation. She had to provide for herself and her young son who wasn't old enough to be out working to help the family. And so she had almost nothing to give, no means of making a difference. And yet she was the person that God chose to use. She had a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil, and God made the most of them. They wouldn't run out through the entire famine. And you add into that that she was from Zarephath, which was a town in the region of Sidon, and you realize that God's word was being lived out in Jezebel's homeland. That it was the stronghold of Baal worship. And through this, the least likely person, God sustained the prophet Elijah, and God's word was proclaimed. And we are still talking about what she accomplished all these many years later. All of us can make a difference, especially when we trust that God will make the most of our gifts. I promise you, if you will smile at people and greet them, you will never run out of smiles. If you will follow Christ, then your spirit will be refreshed, your joy will be restored, and your gifts will never run dry. Recently, I was thinking about Lydia Patterson Institute, and the namesake of that organization was born in Kentucky, April 12, 1850. 
Lydia was, was the fourth of eight children. And when she was 19 years old, she married a man named Samuel Ball. They had four children, and they moved to Sherman, Texas, where her brother Clarence practiced law. Samuel became the, the town marshal. But tragically, in the first two years that they lived there, two of their children passed away. And then Sam, because of his job, uh, got in an altercation in a bar room and died from his injuries. And then their youngest infant son passed away as well. And so her husband and three of her four children passed away and she couldn't bear the grief. She couldn't stay there in Sherman because it was just oppressive. And so her brother Clarence helped move her to El Paso, Texas, where their older brother, Julius, also practiced law. Well, she went to El Paso with very little resources. She was a widow, and she had no means to support herself and her young daughter. But her brother, Julius, built her a small cottage in the middle of town. She joined the Trinity Methodist Church and immediately began working in missions. She started helping a Hispanic Methodist church in the Barrio region, and she noticed that the Hispanic boys weren't allowed to attend public school because they couldn't speak English. And so she helped to start some home schools to help educate them. Well, along the way, she met Millard Patterson, who was a law partner of her brother's. They would get married in November of 1886, and he would become her partner in mission work as well. Tragically, in her 50s, she received a diagnosis of cancer, and they tried everything, but she passed away in 1909. Now, when Lydia Patterson first went to El Paso, she had almost nothing that she could offer in the way of of giving something. She had profound grief. I can't imagine the kind of grief that comes from losing your husband and three of your four children. And yet she didn't let the grief or her lack of resources stop her from being in ministry. She trusted God to multiply the time and effort she spent to have an effect on different lives, and it did. She would be in ministry literally almost to the day she died. And after her death, her husband Millard put up the money to create, uh, to build the building and create Lydia Patterson Institute in her honor. And throughout the years, thousands and thousands of lives have been changed. She trusted God to multiply her efforts. Every single one of us can make a difference. We can trust that God will take whatever we give and make the most of it. So second, we're called to do what we can. Now, in chapter 17 in 1 Kings, when you get to the end of the chapter, you realize that Elijah is staying in the upper chambers of the widow's house. And so think for a moment, what could she do? What could she actually give? She could 
be kind. She could give the flour and the oil for food, and she could give someone a place to stay. And so she literally gave all she could. It wouldn't have been much by the world's standards or the way we think about it, but she gave all she could, and it was important, not only to physically sustain Elijah, but also give him a place to hide out from Jezebel, who was seeking out the priests of God to eliminate them. She wanted the worship of Baal to be primary. And she was especially after Elijah because she thought he had caused the drought in the land. This widow gave all she could. What is it that we can give? Well, I mentioned before, we can all give a smile. We can greet people. We can recognize those around us. We can all do what we can. It's important, though, that we don't let the thoughts of what we can't do squash our efforts. We can't do everything, but we can all do something. And it's important that we do the something that we can. Nicholas Lowinger was just five years old when his mother took him to the homeless shelter where she volunteered as an art therapist. She worked with the boys and girls at this homeless shelter, and they were a family of faith, and so she brought her son when he turned five years old, and Nicholas was excited. He had heard his mom talk about the boys and girls at the shelter, and he was looking forward to finally meeting them, and he had just gotten a new pair of shoes. They were the light-up shoes, and he couldn't wait to share them and show them off to all the boys and girls there. And his mother said, you can't do that because some of the boys and girls there don't have shoes at all. Some who do have shoes, they're torn and tattered. No one has shoes like yours. And for a little five-year-old, he just really couldn't process that until he gets to the homeless shelter and he looks around and sure enough, he sees there are some children who have no shoes on and others have shoes that are barely holding together. And that stayed with him. He would meet a young brother and sister who had one pair of shoes between them. They had to share them. And so they took turns going to school every other day, depending on which one of them had the shoes for that day. But the shoes were pink and sparkly. And so the brother was so embarrassed to wear them and he was bullied and made fun of because of those shoes. That's, that stayed with Nicholas. And so the next time that he went with his mom to the homeless shelter, he brought along some of his old pairs of shoes that didn't fit him anymore. And the children were excited to get them, but Nicholas could tell that they didn't fit them perfectly. A few years later, when he was preparing for his bar mitzvah, he knew what he wanted his service project to be. His parents guided him and helped him to establish a foundation to provide new shoes to children in shelters. It's called the Gotta Have Soul Foundation. It's now been in existence for 11 years and has given away shoes, new shoes, to over 100,000 children. Well, through all these years, 
Nicholas never lost sight about what he could do to make a difference. When he was just five years old, his parents never discouraged him, saying that you know, he was too young to help. When he was 12 and establishing this foundation, they never told him he was too young to do that. No, they encouraged him and inspired him to be of help to others all along the way. And so from the age of five, he did what he could. When he was five, he brought his used tennis shoes because that's what he could do. When he was 12, he established a foundation to help collect new shoes. When he was a teenager, he started thinking of ways that other teens could get involved. And so there are different gotta have soul groups all around the country run by teens who collect shoes and distribute them either locally or nationally. When he was, when he is in his uh, early 20s, he's an adult now, he started thinking of what could they do for veterans who live at the poverty line. And so there's a new program as part of Gotta Have Soul where they help provide new shoes to veterans and their families who are living in poverty. All throughout his life, he has asked the question, what can I do? So what is it you can do? Now, Nicholas wouldn't have been able to answer that question until he went to the homeless shelter and saw the needs of those children. Every single person here has a different sphere of influence, a different vantage point to see the needs around you. Who is it that you know that needs help? Who is it that needs a reminder that they matter to God? Who is it that needs a smile and a greeting? And what is it that you can do to help? Every one of us can make a profound difference and improve someone else's life. And third, God will make the most of our gifts, but we're called to make the most of every moment. That's certainly what the widow of Zarephath did. Remember, she didn't think she had very many moments left to live. She was preparing what she thought would be her last meal for herself and her son. And then she thought it was only a matter of time before they both died because of the famine. Now, Elijah promised her that the flour and oil wouldn't run out during the famine, but why would she believe him? She didn't know his God. In fact, remember when he asked her for a morsel of bread, she said, as surely as the Lord your God lives, I only have a small amount of flour and oil. She was pointing out, that's your God. Elijah's God was not hers. It wouldn't be until the very end of chapter 17 when God raised her son from the dead, that she would finally realize, and she cried out, now I know that you're a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. Her eyes were opened to the Lord God, the God of Elijah, the God of Abraham. Yahweh was the one true God. But she didn't think that at the beginning. And so when Elijah 
asked her to prepare what she thought would be her last meal and what she thought were also her last moments of life, she chose to make the most of them and share that meal with her son and with this stranger. God took that and, of course, multiplied her efforts. We are called to make the most of the moments we have, and none of us know how many moments we have. I'm not just talking about the moments we have to live, but also the moments we have in our encounters with others. For the widow, if she had turned Elijah down, presumably he would walked on and found someone else. She only had this small moment to choose to make a difference in his life. When we walk down the street or in a mall, we have a fleeting moment for each person we're going to pass, whether we choose to smile at them and greet them, acknowledge them or not. We might be the only people who do that for that person. All of us have people that we work with, that we know in our neighborhoods, that maybe we've not really reached out to them like we know we should. We don't know if they're about to move away or not. We don't know how many moments we have to make a difference in someone else's life. And so we need to choose to capture every moment we have. Just recently, I received the notice that the president of Lydia Patterson Institute will be retiring at the end of this year. Dr. Socorro Dianda has been at Lydia Patterson for 37 years and has had an incredible impact on thousands and thousands of students and their families, on their communities. She has done an amazing job. But interestingly enough, she didn't start at Lydia Patterson ever wanting to work there. It was just because she has this drive to make the most of every moment that put her in the right circumstance. It was years ago, and she was a person in business in the corporate world, and there was another huge firm that was trying to hire her for a key position. She asked them if she could have a few months to really pray and think about it, and they granted that to her. But because Sakura never likes to be idle, wants to make the most of every moment, she wanted to do something while she was thinking and praying about the decision. And so she started working at Lydia Patterson, where she had regularly volunteered in the past. Now, I say she was working. She was volunteering every day, all day, without pay. Uh, so she was working but not getting paid for it because she wanted to make the most of her time. Now, the president of Lydia Patterson had always tried to hire Socorro, but she always turned him down because she was a business person but she wanted to be there and help out and make the most of her time. She had a friend who kept inviting her to chapel service with the students. And every single time, Socorro turned her down because she wanted to make the most of her time. And so she wanted to keep working through chapel. And so time and time again, she turned her friend down, but it came to the end of the semester, the last chapel service, and Socorro knew that she had given her friend too many excuses. She really needed to attend this last chapel service. 
It was going to be a special one where the, stud the senior students who had just come back from a retreat were all going to share the message. So Socorro begrudgingly goes to the service. She sits in the back. Why? So she could make a quick exit when she could. But she was captivated by the students. She was blown away that they had the courage to stand up in front of the entire student body, in front of the teachers and the faculty, and share what God was doing in their lives. And hearing them boldly talk about their relationship with God moved her to tears. And in that moment, she knew she was where she belonged. She turned down the job in, in the business corporate world and chose to take a job at Lydia Patterson where she was passionate. Eventually, she became the president, and I can tell you firsthand, she continues to serve Lydia Patterson by making the most of every moment. Back at the end of April, I went to visit Lydia Patterson and Socorro picked me up from the airport. She is a gracious host. She took me out to dinner. She introduced me to different people. And she gave me a thorough tour of the Lydia Patterson campus, introducing me to the teachers and the students. But on the last day, when I was getting ready to leave, she took me to this great Mexican restaurant. And while we were there, she was telling me stories of how Lydia Patterson impacts the lives of the students and their families. And so she was telling me the story about this young girl that she happened to bump into on the sidewalk and started a conversation with her, asking her about her education. She discovered that the girl couldn't speak English, which made it a huge problem for her to attend public school because they taught in English. And then the pandemic, this girl had no access to Wi-Fi. So she was really struggling, and Socorro was helping her to get admitted to Lydia Patterson. Now, all the while she's telling me that story, she's also engaging with our waiter every time he comes to the table. He's a young teenage boy, and I could see what was happening. Every time he came to the table, she'd ask him a couple more questions. And I could see her wheels turning. She thought he was going to be a student at Lydia Patterson. And so she was asking those kind of lead up questions, but she discovered he actually was a senior getting ready to graduate and go to college. But because she's a person of deep faith, she just didn't drop it. She started asking where he's going to college. What was his financial plan? And by the end of our meal time, she had him already connected with a friend of hers at that college who runs the work study program to help pay for his education. And so in that meal, she was focused on me, trying to get me better connected to Lydia Patterson by telling me a story of how she took an opportunity to connect a young girl to Lydia Patterson, all the while she was trying to connect this young boy to Lydia Patterson and then just help him out in his future. She makes the most of every moment. We can follow her example. The truth is, each one of us can make a difference in this world, and you're already doing that. I mentioned that we've had many people throughout the years who talk about their reason for joining St. Luke's is because of your smiles and your greetings. 
that simple gesture has made an impact on their lives. Half of them are joining and uh, on profession of faith. They are coming to God for the first time. Now, that happens because you're just naturally friendly. What would happen if all of us were intentional about making the most of each and every moment, knowing that God will multiply our efforts? You will make a huge impact in this world. And that is exactly what you're created to do. It's in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayers. Amen.